Okay, keep going. Now I'm on the podcast. So what's a podcast? And welcome back to What You're Talking, a Kim's Convenience podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike. And I'm Ruby. And today we have a special co-host joining us. You'll remember him from season two of the podcast, as well as season three. And he's probably one of the most important people in the Kimbit community. And he never takes credit for the good work that he does. I know. (laughs) He is almost single-handedly running the Kimbit's 416 fan account on Twitter and Instagram. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Does he have a daytime job? (laughs) (laughs) He definitely does. So let's welcome back Chi Hung. I'm I'm so exhausted from running all those accounts and and sites, but I'm happy to join you. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you back, Chi Hung. Now, when we were planning for season four of the podcast, Chi Hung had a great idea for an episode. So we decided, you know what? He's probably the best guy to run it. So Chi Hung, Take it away. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, so, you know, in recent years, I've noticed that there has been a rise in Koreans um, in North American entertainment. And uh, I'm not going to say it started with Kim's Convenience, but certainly that's what has brought us together. I had a great five-year run. And, um, you know, after that time, we've seen so many things in terms of music and, and film and, and TV shows that I wanted to explore more in depth about what has um, allowed the rise and sort of the mainstream uh, mainstream adoption of the entertainment. I mean, it's been fantastic. Um, I'm not Korean myself, but I, I really enjoy uh, everything that's come uh, in the past several years. So uh, we have a couple of guests that are joining us t- today, and I think they will be excellent to speak about this topic. Uh, the first is Eugene Bion, who is a no stranger to what you're talking, and in fact, uh, ha, you know, as long uh, along with being a former uh, guest on the podcast, we last worked together on the What You Talking Family Feud edition with uh, several members of the cast. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, Eugene, welcome. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Yes, I like Mike and Ruby. Thanks for having me back as well. <laughs> and then and our next guest is Emily Chen. She is a theater buff and, like Eugene, was also a co-host on the popular uh, app called HQ Trivia. Uh, she hosted back on February 16th of this year. Uh, welcome, Emily. Hi, guys. Thank Ooh. you so much for having me. I'm excited Ooh. to chat with you all today. Welcome. Fantastic. So, yeah, I, you know, the reason I wanted these uh, particular guests is because we're not only... HQDs, but we're also Kimbits, and I have both my feet in, in those fandoms, and um, it's it's a chance where we can go into detail about you know the rise of Koreans in, in popular entertainment in North America, um, but they they also have their own story to tell about how they got sort of selected for for the role of co-host. So um, before we get to that point, let's first talk about. Um, sort of how we identify as being Koreans. Now, me, myself, I'm not. Uh, I'm Chinese-Vietnamese, although I have been uh, mistaken for a Korean a few times, but uh, that's a story <laughs> for another day. So, um, Emily, if you could please first talk about uh, how you identify as uh, being Korean, whether that is, you know, having, uh, speaking the language or having grown up in the motherland, uh, whether Korean culture is part of your everyday life, um, 
if you can speak to that, please. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, well, so I am a Korean adoptee and my name is super deceiving because I was adopted by a Chinese father and a white mother. Mm. I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I spent most of my life there before I moved to New York, where I am right now. Um, I've been learning a lot more about Korean culture in the last few years, taking a couple language classes. Um, but most of my Asian culture growing up was Chinese because of my dad's side of the family. Uh, I think in the last few years with the rise of um, Korean popular culture, K-pop, um, K-dramas, all that sort of thing, it's kind of nudged me in a way to learn more about my culture. I went back to Seoul in 2019, got to see my adoption file. Um, mm -hmm. Also have become mildly obsessed with BTS because I am a friend <laughs> and Broadway gal to the heart. So that's been helpful in um, learning some Korean and also more about the cultures and different things while following a boy band around as I always like to do. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, how about yourself, Eugene? <sighs> well, Chihung, that uh, the question that you ask is a very uh, difficult one. I'm, I'm sometimes embarrassed that I'm not able to answer it simply. Um, but uh, you know, I I was I was uh, I was born to um, uh, uh, Korean immigrant parents. Um, they uh, they immigrated to the United States, and, and I was born in, in Dallas, Texas, uh, and then kind of went around uh, the U.S. to different parts of the U.S. to West Virginia and Louisiana, and then back to Texas and Houston, and and during that time um, didn't really embrace my Korean side very much. I think I kind of tolerated it. Uh, wasn't really a fan of learning Korean, although my parents intentionally didn't speak to me in Korean very much, uh, only in English. Uh, and so that probably, uh, you know, <laughs> made things a little bit worse for me. Uh, but also in terms of Korean food and Korean language, just, just didn't really get into those things. And, um, but then I was thrust into Korean culture, though, uh, when I was 10 years old, and my dad decided to pack up the family and uh, essentially immigrate back to Korea. Um, and so I spent my middle and high school uh, years there uh, going to an international school. But as someone who wasn't really into Korean language and culture and food and all of that, uh, going to Korea was um, very, very uh, painful. Uh, for me, like uh, so, I didn't really feel like I fit in there uh, very well because uh, I, I kind of I, I identified myself maybe as being more American uh, than uh, than Korean. Uh, but during my last summer in Korea, before uh, moving back to the U.S. Uh, to go to uh, to university, um, I really had an epiphany. Uh, actually, at a oddly enough, at a, at a Christian uh, retreat where I actually discovered that I made a huge mistake of not embracing my Korean heritage and taking advantage of that mm. while living in Korea before moving back to the United <laughs> States. And so, <laughs> so then I get thrust back into the U.S. where I'm starting to identify more with Koreans and with Korean culture and wanting to learn more, but I, get, I, I go back to the U.S. and I'm in an environment where that really isn't uh, necessarily a, a central theme or, or, or something that I got all that involved with uh, in, in college. And so kind of got thrust sort of back and forth and, and, and didn't really know where I 
kind of fit in in the end. So coming back to the United States University, I felt like I didn't really fit in with sort of quote unquote American culture or Western culture. And then in Korea, I didn't quite fit in either because I was predominantly English speaking and mm. and mm. Um, didn't necessarily grow up Korean, so to speak. Um, so kind of felt caught no matter where I ended up living. Mm. Right. So it sounds like, you know, like most of us who are either immigrants or or children of immigrant parents, we're sort of discovering our culture and our roots sort of later in life and and maybe wishing we had done more or done so earlier. Um, But, you know, it's great that we have this influx of uh, entertainment and resources that are accessible to us, right? And uh, so we'll go into a little bit more detail about about that sort of thing. But I was curious, um, you know, just to wrap up the HQ part of things, uh, I was curious how you were selected as as the co-host. I mean, some time has passed. I know, uh, Eugene, since your uh, co-hosting duties, that was back in 2019. Can you just review with with us how you were selected as co-host? Yeah, uh, I, I guess started with me, right? Because Emily yes. was co-host as well. <laughs> um, so uh, it was a uh, there was a contest, I guess, in, in 2019, uh, where you submitted like a one minute or less uh, video um, uh, introducing yourself and and, and reading um, a, a sample question, uh, and then um, H oh, and you had to uh, qualify by doing well enough in their daily games as well. Um, and so assuming that you qualified and that they liked your video, then they uh, selected finalists from uh, that pool of HQDs. And uh, I was uh, one of three uh, that was chosen to be finalists. Uh, and then uh, during r- right before um, a game had started, uh, I was voted uh, as being the winner of the contest um, through a popular vote with, uh, with fellow HQDs. Uh, so that's how I ended up uh, uh, being selected. And it was an incredible, incredible honor. Actually, during that time, I I was reflecting on how there wasn't a whole lot of um, representation uh, when it came to to Asian Americans uh, on U.S. game shows. Uh, and so it was, uh, and so I, I, I didn't, uh, take that uh, point lightly. It was, it was, a, it was an honor to also bring some representation, uh, to the game show hosting, uh, space and even to HQ, uh, in general, who I, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, there, there wasn't, uh, ever an, a, an Asian or Pacific Islander, uh, host, uh, for HQ. So it was, uh, it was an honor, uh, to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and what was great too, uh, one of the other finalists, uh, is, uh, Chinese-American as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. So shout out, yep. shout out Mariana. Mariana, um, yes. And I, we've I, since gotten to know a little bit. Um, yeah, but and you were, you were And I was really hoping that she would have a chance to, uh, to host or co-host as well, um, but uh, sadly, sadly didn't happen. Uh, but I so, think she did, uh, she did host one question, yes. if I'm not mistaken, for the, yes. uh, the uh, one-year anniversary game uh, uh, last year. Or earlier yeah, this year? So I can't remember. That, yeah, it, it's all a haze, um, you know, with the pandemic. We don't know which, what day or month it is most, most times. But uh, would you say that your uh, popularity came about from your past experiences on, on the game shows, Wheel of Fortune, Pyramid, uh, Millionaire? 
I think so. Um, I, I think people knew that I was the, the real deal in the sense of there was someone who uh, got to be a co-host that was really passionate about that space. Um, mm-hmm. Online trivia game shows, but just game shows in general. Um, uh, on Twitter, that's primarily <laughs> these days, especially with Kim's Convenience not around. It is primarily what I continue to tweet about and, and, and interact with, with my followers and folks that I follow about. Um, so yes, absolutely. So I, I, I have been on uh, six different shows. Uh, actually, I, I uh, taped uh, my sixth one, uh, Let's Make a Deal, uh, a couple months ago. And that's going to be airing in January. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so so continuing to do the game show thing. And I, I, I think uh, uh, that, that certainly played a, a, a role in, in um, I don't know if popularity is the word, but the connection I that people- I made with HQDs. Sure. I think people could just sense your enthusiasm and passion for not only HQ trivia, but, you know, the, the co-hosting part of it. And, um, and you know, they, they voted you in. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so with, with Emily, now your co-hosting duties weren't in studio. You went about, you went around town, New York City, uh, at popular spots, and you gave uh, you gave some clues, sort of like sometimes what H, uh, what Jeopardy does with their, um, you know, their celebrity or their on the scene type of uh, guest. Uh, can you speak a bit right, more right. about how you got selected? I, I honestly, I didn't know a lot of those things about Jeopardy and all of the game show stuff when I was um, in high school and college. My dream was to be a VJ on MTV, <laughs> and I really just wish that I could have been in New York to audition because I was watching like Jesse Camp and Dave Holmes and being like. Mm. I just want a chance, you know. I tried to audition for Entertainment Weekly's um, like pop culture, uh, sort of like world tournament. I can't remember what it was called, and mm. there were so many things along that. But I was like, okay, I like playing this HQ game. I obviously play it more at night than I did during the workday, and <laughs> it kind of was like I went back to Nebraska for a little bit during the pandemic, and they had like a co-hosting thing, and I was like, eh, I'll throw my name in the hat. I think you had to comment on their Instagram. And say about mm. like a reason why. So which I was like, I wanted to be Suchin Puck. I wanted to oh. be like an MTV BJ. And I didn't mm. think anything of it. So then Christmas, you know, the game starts. I'm sitting on the couch next to my dad, and you know, Matt says my name that I've won for this Merry Christmas thing. And I was like, What? Wow. What happened? And I look at my dad, who's like asleep on the couch, and I'm like, I think I won. And I think then at that point, Eugene actually like was like, Did I see your name? You know, and through social media, it was like, Oh my god, this really actually happened. And then, you know, have to confirm with some people. And then it took a little bit of coordination. And they were saying, well, because of COVID, obviously, we can't have you in studio. And we want you to do all these different things. And I'm like, listen, I'm local in New York. So whatever you want me to do, I I wasn't working at the time. So they sent me a couple questions. And then they asked them about my interests to tailor a couple of them. And then um, just like one afternoon, my roommate and I went around the city and shot the footage and sent it back to them and, you know, did a couple of things in my my room and throw to whatever. And then they kind of edited it all together. So like, of course, I knew the questions before the game. So that was a little different. But then told everybody like my friends to like tune in. I'm like, you might as well play, you know, you could win some money, but I can't tell you any of the answers. <laughs> did, they explain, did they explain how you were selected? It, it wasn't a random draw, right? I don't really know. Um, I think that like uh, in talking to other like HQDs, there was a lot of sort of like, oh great. Like Emily at least has played a bunch of games and she's, you know, been engaging with the platform. I didn't know much about the other contestants that had won, but I think there was a little bit of, like, oh, this person has only played, like, 
you know, five to 10, a hundred games. And I think I had a couple thousand under my belt. I really don't know, but uh, it was cool. I did get to meet Matt very briefly and see the studio, but because of COVID and everything, we couldn't film together at the time. So who knows if they'll have me back now that I know everybody's getting vaccinated and around, but um, I definitely had a lot of fun and it's kind of like, I don't really have like a professional reel or anything, but it's fun to have that sort of HQ archive video on YouTube. And then Mm. my friend actually like screen recorded when she was playing. So it was pretty cool to see that too. And look at some of the comments as well. And then, um, you know, I I sort of tweeted at people throughout the day when they were like saying that I was going to be hosting that night just to interact. And so it's interesting because of the Twitter universe, everybody's like, Oh my God, she replied to me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and in fact, you, from what I remember, you you had a lot of positive reaction too. I think um, you know there, there was a host uh, who won a contest in between the two of you, and there was speculation that she wasn't quite legitimate. But we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I did want I did want to mention real quick, uh, Chi Young, sure. that uh, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, that uh, for those contests that that HQ uh, reserved the the right for it not to be a random draw. And uh, to uh, they, they probably I, I have a hunch that uh, just like they did with me, they also looked at uh, Emily's involvement and and uh, her social media accounts and, and connection with other people, as well as the number of games that she played. Is she legit uh, as an HQD? And, and that played, I think, a big role in her uh, either being selected or at least being in sort of the the, the finalists that they ended up maybe drawing from. Um, and, I, and I really think, uh, uh, and, and Emily, I, I'm trying to remember if we've talked about this before, but I, I, I think HQD's really appreciated your, um, your authenticity that came through, the, the natural, um, unforced, uh, unrehearsed sounding enthusiasm uh, oh, that, that you, it's, it's what you see is, is what you got. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you, and, and really HQD's can, can tell. Uh, whether or not it's it's forced or whether it's real, and I, I think that they sense that realness from you, which is why they felt so natural in uh, 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 drawn to uh, to 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 interact with you over social media. Um, and so, I, I'm my my hope is that that has led to having other conversations uh, with with fellow HQDs about things. I, I, I think that's been one of the most interesting things about the experience for me has been folks contacting me when I talk about things like representation and Kim's convenience and and they want to talk to those things uh, about those things with me because we've sort of established that sort of initial common ground uh, the, uh, of being HQDs. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, too, that's essentially how you and I, Eugene, kind of started talking to each other. Was yes. <laughs> being a mutual, like, you know, another Asian face on this game platform and thinking, oh, my God, he won. This is so cool. Because I definitely voted for you to be the co-host. Oh, and thank then you. Kind of I did not vote for life. you, but uh, I didn't okay. have an opportunity <laughs> to okay. vote for yeah. you. So, yes. Well, and it was just cool to see, like, you know, people that have similar connections, that's what draws us to each other. And I think that's one of the best things about social media these days is having the platform to try and, you know, reach out to people that maybe we didn't have growing up. I mean, I there were not a lot of Asian kids in my schools growing up until about high school. And then when there were, there was a primary group of, say, like English as a second language learners. So it wasn't uh-huh. like the same sort of thing where uh, we were in the same classes or even in the same activity groups together. But uh, it's just it was so much fun to see. And I was like, oh, Eugene, hello. How are you? <laughs> and now we have to be the person. Uh, and yes, same thing yes. with uh, Mike and, and uh, 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 Mike and his wife, Ruby, we, we've met before. But mm-hmm. uh, Chi-Hung, Emily, we uh, we have not. Uh, this must yes. change. 
some someday when someday when it's safe to travel all over again. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. So going from the I guess the stars of the mobile screens to the the small screens. Um, let's get back to Kim's convenience and and what uh, you know what I like to refer to as the golden age of Asian American television. Uh, so a few years ago we we had Kim's convenience on the air. But there were also shows like Fresh Off the Boat and Dr. Ken. Uh, up in Canada, there were shows like Second Gen and Bud and Water. Uh, so there was really a wealth of you know, representation on TV that we hadn't seen since All-American Girl, right, with Margaret Choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, we were getting all of these you know, family sitcoms, and we, can, we could see each, uh, ourselves in the show. And, you know, it was pretty glorious. But, you know, unfortunately, I believe all of those shows have since, uh, you know, they're, they're no longer on the air. But having said that, um, one of the latest, uh, you know, cast members, or if you want to call it that, is a Asian American Muppet on Sesame Street that was just announced a few, yeah. it was last yes. week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, I actually have friends named Ji Young, so it's kind of interesting. My name is very similar to Ji Young. Uh, oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that there's going to be a special airing, uh, you know, uh, featuring Simu Liu um, from Kim's Convenience, of course. But it's a very exciting time. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, in between when we were first talking about doing this podcast discussion, we had that global phenomenon, Squid Game, come out on Netflix Mm -hmm. and that really took over and you know before that it was you know you had sort of like the token Asian person you know on Lost uh, on Walking Dead but now we're we're seeing fully fleshed characters we're seeing families we're also seeing content in the native language like imagine that Uh, I know a, a complaint of people is they don't want to be reading while they're watching TV, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's really taken away from a lot of foreign films before. It was, for whatever reason, it was a, a hindrance. Um, you know, once you get to a certain age, you, you want to watch with closed captioning because you can't hear everything that's being said. But it's also helpful in sometimes describing background noise and, and things of that nature. But, you know, I really am marveling at shows like Squid Game and films like Parasite and Minari that are filmed in their native language and people are accepting of that. And, and you know, it just speaks to the, you know, acceptance and maybe just are people being becoming more cultured? What, what do you think it is that has allowed um, the success of, of TV shows, uh, specifically of, you know, Korean families and being represented on TV? The first thing that's coming to mind right now, uh, and, and, and to be honest, I don't know if this is, is going to be fairly stated or not, um, but I wonder if some of it had to do with um, uh, production quality before uh, and also being able to tell uh, sort of an authentic story. Um, I, I, I think what blew me away with shows like Squid Game and, and, and movies like Parasite uh, and why they sort of attracted the general public's attention was because they were riveting stories that were really well made. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, that it just kind of blows people's minds watching it. And and that that generated the interest in in in, in my opinion. Uh, I, I felt like uh, movies in the past didn't necessarily. Do, do that or did that for niche audiences only? Uh, like I'm thinking about like Kung Fu movies back in the day, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I noticed Bruce Lee as a, as a teen, but, but I never really got into those movies because I wasn't really kind of much of a fighter. And, and, I, and I think the general uh, the, uh, public worldwide, I, I think there was certainly a niche for that and people enjoyed Kung Fu movies, but I, I wouldn't say that it was universal, um, uh, e- even shows like uh, Fresh Off the Boat, uh, which you know I I I enjoyed the show and I I found it funny, uh, but I also didn't find it. There was something missing for me, uh, some some kind of authenticity that kind of uh, you know and and storytelling that would draw um, the public. Uh, you know, those outside of the Asian American community to want to talk about the content of the shows and to, and, and to ask questions about them. Um, so, so no one ever, for example, for Fresh Off the Boat, ever came up to me and said, hey, have you seen that show? Oh, it was so funny when this happened. Uh, nobody did that. But with Parasite, and with uh, uh, with uh, uh, Minari, and, and also with Squid Game, and with, uh, 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 of course, with Shang-Chi, that... Uh, non-stop since those movies came out people wanted to talk to me uh, about them and automatically assumed that I would be capable of talking about all of them <laughs> but I never really got that with shows before and and that's where I saw the potential with a show like Kim's Convenience um, that people could tell just as I was talking about earlier about people could tell that Emily was really authentic in the way that she was presenting herself on HQ. People could tell that the actors themselves were being authentic in the way that they were portraying these characters, by which I had people who had watched the show, uh, especially when it, when it, when it uh, uh, got out on Netflix, would, would ask me questions about, is this your life? Uh, is this something that you're relating with? Uh, I find this really fascinating. I didn't really know that. I had some Asian friends, and I kind of speculated maybe what they were going through and always felt kind of uncomfortable talking to them about it or didn't know how to talk about it. But, boy, this show is kind of making me wonder and wanting to ask questions. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, that would be my initial thought. I don't know if others agree or not, <laughs> but uh, that, that's uh, the first thing that I thought of. Well, I want to think too, what, Eugene, based on what you've said, really the storytelling was a lot of it that has brought some of these things to popular culture. Because when I think about who are some of the first Asian characters that I saw on TV when I was growing up, do you remember the episode of Full House where Uncle Jesse goes to Japan because oh, his yes. song Forever is really big? And yeah. it's that poor man that has to keep running in and out of the room, getting him different kinds of peanuts, like yeah. salted peanuts, um, honey roasted or whatever. And I just felt bad for this man. Like it yeah. wasn't like, it was just like, I feel so bad that he's like serving Uncle Jesse, even though I really like Uncle Jesse as a character. And then having Margaret Cho and having All American Girl was great, but we know from her stand-up that the network was telling her to do certain things. They were telling her to lose weight. They were telling her, you know, her yes. face was too big. They were saying she wasn't Asian enough. Then she was too American. Then they got rid of the whole Asian family except for the grandma. And it was just they couldn't figure out the storytelling that would actually keep people watching. And I think even though I didn't run up to people, like you said, with Fresh Off the Boat, there were stories that I related to um, mm-hmm. with some of the characters in that. But more so in Kim's Convenience, I mean, the 
Appa, the dad's character, is so similar to my dad in some of the things that he said. And I even think yeah. sometime at Christmas, my dad like went somewhere and he said, "Okay, see you." And I was like, "Wait a minute!" Yeah. <laughs> 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 so like right now. Oh and my so yes. <laughs> we kind of got dad to sit and watch some of them, but it was so that's sort of funny because he had that disconnect between the Chinese and Korean culture, but he mm. related to the you know the ethnically Asian part of it and enjoying some of the funny things. And like, he never called it Kim's convenience. He always called it kimchi show. So, you know, if we were going to uh, watch, he's like, Oh, I need to see kimchi show. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> Kim's convenience. Yes. Yes. We'll put that on. We can watch that together. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. I, 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 you know, I, it was weird as I was reflecting on this and where, how far back can I think of um, maybe where I saw uh, you know, major Asian characters kind of drawing me in and, and uh, someone that I could relate to or admire. Um, and and the, the, the one that came to mind that kind of shocked me because I didn't even think of its impact um, on, on my life uh, was uh, the 21 Jump Street TV series. Hmm. <laughs> um, which I don't know if any of you have seen, uh, but I know Johnny Depp is in it and some other folks. And, I'm and, old and, enough to know that series. Excellent, excellent. Uh, but uh, uh, Dustin Wen had a character named Aoki, uh, and uh, the, that character really caught my eye. I mean, he was a major cast member. He had whole story arcs and storylines uh, around his character. And uh, there was that, you know, we talked, I talked earlier about the, how the Kim's convenience actors seem to be, to me, it's like they're, they're acting so well because they're speaking out of their own sort of emotions and experiences. And you can almost kind of tell, I almost kind of felt that with, uh, with, with, with Dustin Wen and his, his portrayal of Aoki on that, on that uh, 20 on Jump Street show. Um, and so, but I, I, the weird thing is back then when I was in high school, I was, I was seeing him more as, Oh, he's really cool. And not necessarily actually seeing that, wow, actually there's something pretty groundbreaking that's happening here in terms of a, uh, 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 you know, an, uh, an Asian uh, character being a major player in a TV series. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> but uh, can't can't really think of 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 too many others. And 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 I think some of it might be because I just wasn't. You know, I was talking about my my formative years as a teenager and in elementary school, just being very very confused. I wasn't really thinking a whole lot about representation. Um, at that time, I just kind of figured that's sort of the way things are. Like I, I was, I was one of, of four Asians in my elementary school, or three uh, Asians in my elementary school, and I and I got made fun of for for my small eyes and for looking differently, and and that hurt my feelings and all. But I never really kind of realized, oh, there is you know uh, rep- diversity and representation matters. I just, I just kind of, I just kind of lived with it and thought that was was the way. Uh, and it really wasn't until I, I I started university that my you know my eyes opened again because uh, I went to Rice University for my undergraduate uh, uh, studies in Houston, and um, they they boasted about having a freshman class that was seventeen to twenty percent minority. Um, I don't I don't remember the exact figure, and I was one of them, um, and that was my first exposure to 
there is a lot of diversity out there. There is a lot of underrepresentation out there, and it and it and it spans the gamut in in in, in terms of different nations and ethnic groups and religions, and and it just really really opened my eyes uh, then. But wasn't thinking about that uh, before, and and so maybe you know uh, yeah maybe I wasn't really looking well, and 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 probably media wasn't doing a good job of sort of presenting those things to me because of the network executives that uh, that we were talking about before, uh, kind of saying no to uh, to certain certain um, uh, series and 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 uh, uh, story development and character development. I just want to say that I don't think we had the word represent representation. Yeah. It wasn't in our vocabulary. Yeah. We knew what we were looking for, but didn't really understand. Cause like when I was in middle school and I saw Trini, the yellow power ranger, I thought yes. that was really cool. Yeah. It was like somebody on this popular television show that looked like me that, I mean, granted it had to be the yellow ranger, but besides the point, <laughs> um, but other popular things while I, Eugene was talking, I was like, there was uh, Dante Basco in hook back right. in the day right. so that was an early on um, Asian person that I identified with but I used to sit at movies and watch the credits and look for any ethnically Asian name just to see who had worked on the show and you bet I sat through the whole credits of Crazy Rich Asians it was just like <laughs> so amazing like my friends are always wanting to leave the theater I'm like no no I gotta watch the credits I wanna see what's <sighs> going on um, and even in my elementary school I went to Disney World with my family when they were animating Mulan and I like pressed my face up against that glass because they used to you know draw the cells there and you could walk through I think it was MGM at the time and I like snuck a picture and got a little bit scolded at Disney World but I was so excited to see you know this like Asian Disney princess that wasn't available to us you know we grew up Little Mermaid Belle uh, Jasmine all those sort of things in the mid to late 90s and it was like oh Mulan finally we have one (laughs) <laughs> yes. yes and uh, I'm you know I'm, I'm happy that both of you actually talked about uh, uh, people who uh, when I was in university I was part of the Vietnamese Students Association and uh, I know for one year it was um, for the Lunar Lunar New Year uh, I wrote an article for this publication that we did and it was spotlighting Vietnamese uh, actors in, in entertainment or in Hollywood and it was mm. Dustin and it was Tui Trang who played Trini on Power Rangers and ah yes and, and sadly, they they have they're they're connected. Their story is connected. Um, so Dustin's uh, was getting married to this uh, model actress named Angela Rockwood, hmm. and uh, Tui Chang was a bridesmaid. Uh, this was oh. back in two thousand and one, and there, oh. there was a fatal car accident that sort of changed yeah. the course of everything. Um, but uh, you know. It's funny how things are related and like you, you, yeah. you know, you watch 21 Jump Street and then uh, you watch Power Rangers not thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, like for me, being Vietnamese, I, I, I can see the names and, you know, they're familiar and, and the faces. And then for them to intersect in that way, it was, uh, it, it was you know, quite unbelievable the, the way that things worked out. But, um, you know, representation, I think it's always been yeah. kind of been there, like in, in bits and pieces. But it wasn't until, you know, the, the, the TV shows we were talking about where we had everyone sort of in, uh, like an ensemble. Uh, we, we saw families. We saw fully fleshed out characters. Um, and Emily, you were talking about Mulan, uh, Disney princesses and that sort of thing. And uh, I know Ming-Na Wen was, was big with the Joy Luck Club. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of like the landmark movie that sort of preceded uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And that was mm-hmm. a long time coming, too. Like, there was a huge gap. But, uh, you know, you know, with Shang-Chi and we're seeing sort of 
things trending in the right direction. Um, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about, about cinema and, you know, having movies that are geared more towards like a North American audience, a Western audience? Do you like movies like Shang-Chi, which sort of have, I mean, with that film, it had Mandarin Chinese, but it also had a lot of English. How do you feel about those sort of like hybrid type movies versus the foreign films with the um, authentic language and, and that sort of thing? Do you have a preference? Do you think, um, you know, audiences have an appetite for both? Well, I want to go back to just the idea of good storytelling gets people to the theater and gets them to see what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily the subtitles kind of sway one way or another because during the pandemic, so many of us watch shows online with subtitles with without... Um, but really just telling a good story and then having it feature Asian cast, I think is a great first stepping stone. So it's not like, you know, the best friend, the sidekick, mm-hmm. the sort of comic relief, yeah. um, but just sort of normal stories. And I think that's what we've seen. I haven't seen Blue Bayou, but I've heard lots of good things about it. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, even the storytelling, like we've talked about Minari, um, Parasite's a little like not normal story. But I think <laughs> as, long, <laughs> as long as we keep to talking about these stories and making things um, more just normalized of everyday human stories, we can all relate to something, not even if the person looks like us. And I kind Mm -hmm. of, want to say that's like in theater as well there's certain stories that sometimes you don't think that will relate to you when you go to a theater and then you see this musical or you see this play and as a minority or as you know a person of color or sort of a marginalized group you can put yourself in the shoes of that character and understand what they're going through whether the traumas with their family with the society with something like that and i mean to me live theater is better than anything because you're in that room having the same singular experience with other people but the storytelling, I think, is the first. Yeah, I think in, in, uh, as part of the storytelling, even the action sequences. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the things that make you feel represented, uh, especially with like Kim's Convenience and uh, yeah, even with Joy Luck Cub and uh, 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 Mulan, which I actually kind of want to get back to eventually. Uh, but yeah. but um, uh, even uh, the intense... Um, super special effects, um, uh, well choreographed action sequences that uh, that are in Shang Chi as uh, as and and um, uh, also in, in in Squid Game and and uh, you know I, I I think those are important uh, too uh, because that kind of breaks the ice and it gets people interested and mm-hmm. uh, uh, so. Uh, 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 you know, I, I don't want to neglect the importance of, of, of those things uh, as, as well. Uh, so even though, I mean, for me, again, as mentioned before, in Squid Game, um, I, I haven't actually seen it <laughs> all oh. the way through. I've watched a lot of clips and, and, I, and I, I appreciate uh, uh, that, uh, uh, the, the, the story that it's telling and the artistry of it all. Uh, but it's not my kind of, of movie. Uh, Shang-Chi is more of my kind of movie, but it was not because of the relatability uh, to the characters as much as it was the story and the action, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, don't, don't want to d- d- diminish the, the importance of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do want to touch back on Joy Luck Club and Mulan. Uh, I will embarrassingly, embarrassingly admit uh, that those two shows I may have shed more tears than I ever had uh, uh, watching those two films, maybe than I have any other show, uh, because um, I think they were ones that 
where I first felt like I was truly represented as an Asian American and that there's something that is portraying my biggest internal struggle, which has been with my parents and trying, they have, they have high hopes and dreams for me that are inconsistent with what my hopes and dreams are, what I feel like I'm capable of doing, uh, what, uh, you know, I have these, these, uh, I, I feel inadequate and I fail and, and I worry about what they're, they're thinking of me when that happens. Um, and that, that sort of struggle uh, between first generation parents and you know, a second generation uh, child. Uh, and so to actually kind of see uh, that conflict, uh, you know, come before my eyes on, on the big screen uh, was overwhelming uh, for me and just completely unexpected. Uh, and, and I think that was the moment for me where I started thinking about um, representation uh, was, a, was, a, was a, uh, probably at that time uh, when those films came out. Now, I was going to say, spoiler alert, you know, at the end of Mulan, when she brings him back the sword oh, and yeah. he doesn't care about the sword, but he hugs her. That gets me every time. Yes. <laughs> and then makes me think about the times where my dad would give the unexpected response and say that that he loves me instead of saying, uh, you could have done better. <laughs> you, you, you bring me A minus. Why not A plus? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, kind of kind of thing. But, in, but instead to say, I love you, son, or I'm proud of you, son. Um, and uh, which which did happen later, and so I could definitely relate re- relate to that element of it. Which, by the way, is why with Kim's convenience, I was so dying and hoping for some kind of reconciliation, uh, you know, mm-hmm. some some complete reconciliation between Jung and Appa. We right. didn't get that, and and I and I felt like uh, for today's generation, um, you know, who may not have seen. Or familiar with necessarily Mulan or the or or especially the Joy Luck Club to actually see that in sort of a more modern uh, context, um, yeah, I, I, I felt like something something was was missed there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know that Eugene secretly has a crush on Ming Na Wen because she was in both films, uh, or at yes. least the, right. <laughs> so let's let's stay let's stay on that topic and let's transition to music. Now in the '90s, Ming Na had try to, uh, I guess, bring about an Asian-American boy band, right? So that group was called At Last. And oh, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I remember hearing them on, uh, is it Rick D's Top 40, yeah, something like Rick that? Rick D's in the weekly Top 40. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we got that up in Canada as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think they were trying to push it, but it, it didn't get that far. And in the 90s, we had um, other acts from different countries, uh, you know, Asian countries. We had Yutara Hikaru, who is huge in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, she did some songs for uh, Kingdom Hearts, which was a, uh. a Disney Squaresoft franchise, a huge video game series. Um, Coco Lee sang, mm-hmm. she sung the theme song yeah. Reflection to Mulan. She sung uh, A Love Before Time for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Ah, yes. But she wasn't able to break through either. And it wasn't really until BTS that has, you know, this huge following. Now, uh, Emily, you won't want to hear this, but I don't really know any of their music. Um, Maybe Dynamite. Okay, that can Maybe Dynamite. But I um, only became part yeah. of the army in very late 2020, so my ramp yeah. up has been very quick. <laughs> 
so I think people, that also has to do with just knowing a lot about boy bands and sort of that as well. People listening to this, don't at me. I'm, I'm a noob. Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess Baby my army. question, <laughs> my question is, what has allowed BTS to break through? I mean, you know, whereas all these other acts didn't, like, uh, you know, these other singers, they, they, they were fluent in English. I mean, they could sing yeah. in their native tongue, but they can also sing in English. And is BTS mostly Korean? I, I'm, I'm not familiar. I want to say like 80% Korean lyrics. Yeah. So basically how I came to hear about them, I mean, I knew that they were a popular Korean um, group and that they had, you know, come to New York a couple times and that it was like the next big boy band thing. But there's also been, you know, Five Seconds of Summer. There was The Wanted for a little bit. There was uh, the reality TV show based boy band uh, in real life. And so some of them stick around for a bit, um, but some of them just disappear. And so with BTS, the cool thing was like, yeah, they were sort of manufactured like the way that, you know, we think of um, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys or 98 Degrees and O-Town all put together by sort of like a Svengali. So in this case, their producer, Bang PD Nim. But they started out as a group that was supposed to be this way for youth to have a group to look at. And so I think their messaging was really different from kind of mm-hmm. what I understand. And they started out kind of more rap very hardcore rap like if you look yep. at stuff from yep. when they first came out a lot of eye makeup a lot of harsh like metal darker right white. Yeah. yeah yeah and if you look at them now you're like how are these the same group <laughs> yeah they're people, very effeminate right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the last few years they really latched on to this idea of self-care and mental health which was mm-hmm. not prominent in Asian media you know I think in Asian culture it struggles for us to even say like dad maybe we should go to therapy or let's talk about this problem or like why are you mad if I get like uh, Eugene said that A minus instead of that A plus <laughs> so really having a group that spoke to youth in a way but then also related to some of us that are you know, I, I was of the Backstreet Boys generation, so I'm mm. probably like twice the age of most BTS fans. But hearing those stories and then seeing them go to things like the United Nations and talk about this campaign called Love Myself and how mental health and taking care of yourself is important. And then, you know, spending hours of time on Genius and reading the translations and really understanding that what the lyrics mean. So you don't have to understand the Korean, but you can get the vibe. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um for me then during the pandemic, I started watching their game show variety show called run BTS. And that's uh, when I really started to like them because you learn the seven different personalities. Mm-hmm, you learn mm-hmm. their different like nuances and how they all kind of balance each other out yep. in a way that like, we never had anything like that with Sync or Backstreet Boys or 98 degrees. Like right. there was not this accessibility. Like TRL was all we had. We could mm-hmm. see their personalities when they'd come on and talk to Carson Daly, but it wasn't a weekly television show where they were playing games or, you know, um, solving mysteries or puzzles or, you know, singing and dancing. So that really was engaging. And I think gave people a way to just, bond with them in a way that's different than even say like Blackpink who's a pretty popular um, Mm -hmm. girl group or you know Twice or anything like that now uh, this (laughs) I'm glad you went first Emily I I, I agree with everything that you said Uh, although I have maybe a counterpoint or perhaps something to to add that um, you know maybe a little bit different from what you're saying Um, I, I was just talking to my daughter over dinner and she may be very embarrassed that I mentioned her. <laughs> uh, but she was, uh, I, I believe that she, she, she's been a big BTS fan for a while. Um, and uh, she still likes BTS, I believe. But her last comment to me was, um, she's a little bit disappointed in them. 
uh, because they seem to be recording more songs in English. Mm-hmm. And mm. they're adding more English to their lyrics, even in Korean songs, mm-hmm. by which it really isn't as Korean. And and it made and, and really her comment um, uh, over dinner today made me wonder about um, in Korea, your average Korean person can do they they're certainly proud of BTS. But can they say that BTS sort of represents them? Hmm. And, and I would say that in terms of BTS's fandom, it's, it's mainly within a certain generation, um, hmm. I think, in Korea. I don't think it crosses um, – it might cross one generation, but more than, than, than you know, two, I, I'm not sure. And, and this is where I, I was kind of reflecting on one of my uh, uh, favorite uh, K-pop artists, IU. Uh, oh, who I, yeah. I would liken IU to be uh, the Taylor Swift, maybe, mm-hmm. of, yeah. of Korea, where Taylor Swift has more general sort of wider spread popularity in the United States across generations. Of course, mm-hmm. there are people who absolutely hate her music, and I can under, you know, I can, I can, I can understand why they might think that. Uh, but they would, you would still sort of associate, uh, you know, her music with Americana. And, and also yeah. maybe with some connection back to uh, yourself as an American, where I feel like IU is the same in Korea. Uh, she's, she's considered, I think, I think the, the phrase that's used for her is that she's the daughter, everyone's mm-hmm. daughter, the daughter or sister of everyone in Korea. So she relates to the younger generation and to children and teens, but also those who are in their 20s and 30s and still relatable and enjoyed by people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even beyond. And so she, so she almost, I don't know, kind of represents Korea more overall than BTS does. Mm-hmm. But but IU's popularity in the United States is certainly it's significantly less. Yeah. Um, and 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 a lot of it, her her songs are 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 more complex lyrically, I think, and 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 is more poetic, and is 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 sort of adopting more elements of Korean language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, it, it, and maybe it goes back to the whole thing that we talked about subtitles before, <laughs> that. Do you, to, in order to become an IU fan, you have to be willing to maybe dig a little deeper and learn more about what she's actually saying um, and, and gain an appreciation for that and ask questions about that before someone like her could become uh, more popular. And so who knows? I, maybe, maybe as we're learning to um, – uh, in this country to read subtitles more <laughs> uh, in, in those movies that we were talking about uh, that maybe we'll see more artists kind of break through, uh, you know, into international markets um, uh, like IU. Mm-hmm. Eugenia, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned her. I'm, I'm not familiar with her music at all. And when you were starting to talk about your favorite um, Korean artist, I thought you were going to, to, in the direction of Psy, but uh, yeah. I guess. Oh. <laughs> yeah, somebody bring up Gangnam Style. <laughs> <laughs> yes, although that's kind of kind of similar because I think yeah. he, he was he was popular because of the of the of the music video and the repetitive nature of the lyrics and, and things like that, which did yeah. get people interested in Gangnam, and so that was that was great. Uh, unfortunately, Psy's well kind of mm-hmm. ran dry as he tried 
basically creating other copies of his music and, and yeah. it, didn't, it, it didn't last. But well, uh, it was a good try. The gold, the gold statue of the little hands and wrists in Gangnam when you yes, go. Yes, which I have <laughs> yet to take a picture in front of, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to make my dad do Gangnam style in front of the sculpture. It did not work well. <laughs> You're brave. <laughs> I mean, I, Eugene, to your daughter's point, I, it is sort of, equally frustrating when you know we're we're so lucky as like korean americans to be able to understand bts's english songs but yeah. we don't want them to lose the identity of their koreanness right. and so while they're trying to navigate this sort of new radio like airplay and streaming yeah. and everything they're doing things like making a song like to me butter is much better of a song than dynamite and i've mm. argued with some of my friends about mm. this because huh. the beats are better the lyrics make more sense and then they follow that with permission to dance, which the lyrics in that song are pretty bad. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I mean, you, everyone can have their own thought of that. It's a great song. It's done wonderful, like on TikTok. And I just think part of that is like, yeah, we want them to be able to sing in English so we can understand it, but we still love them for their K-pop and the Korean stuff. So yeah, it's a weird yeah. balance. And something else you also talked about. I have two good friends that live in Korea and neither of them knew much about BTS at all. So I feel like it's very insular to where we are here in the country and certain parts of the globe. Neither of them could tell you any of the seven's names other than RM, who's the one that speaks English mostly, (laughs) um, because they knew other groups, you know, and we kind of grew up in the era of Big Bang and Super Junior. So Mm. it was a little bit different um, where, you know, there were groups of 10 to 12 people and trying to know all of them. but I think that's sort of like what you're saying. Like they're very, they seem very huge in America. They seem very huge in different parts and pockets of uh, the, the, like the world, but maybe in Korea, yes, they're well regarded. Mm-hmm. But like you said, how many average Koreans could name, you know, more than half of the group? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. That the, makes the real sense. question, yeah. the real question, Emily is how many packs of the uh, dipping sauce did you keep when McDonald's had? <laughs> I, I have, oh, I have two goodness. in my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I have the T-shirt too that has the sweet chili sauce graphic on the front, and then it says "fire" on the back in Korean, so Bortolne. Nice. <laughs> have yet to wear it. it, just you know. But I, I as a kid of who grew up eating a lot of fast food, it was like the perfect merging. Mm. <laughs> our, our family was overly critical of the sauces because it was like there's nothing actually that Korean in terms of the mm-hmm. ingredients here. Uh, but, and yeah. so that was still that conversation I needed to have with my family that at least, uh, you know, there's there's Korean lettering and, and some, some of the flavors are kind of there. And yeah, they could have taken a little bit further than that in terms of representing uh, Korean and, and Korean cuisine. But, you know, we should, we should be happy that at least we have this. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. That was another weird debate um, I had with some friends because, you know, in Korean McDonald's, there are like sort of Korean flavored dishes, like a bulgogi burger Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. And it was like, why was the BTS meal chicken nuggets? (laughs) And I think it's because in certain countries, there are a lot of army that don't eat beef. And so they wanted to have something that Mm. all of their fans could participate in. um, You know, granted, if you ate meat as opposed to a vegetarian. Mm. But I found that sort of fascinating. Right, right. Um, so just to bring things back full circle, uh, let's get back to Kim's convenience and, and the, the topic of this um, conversation, Koreans and North American entertainment. I was really interested in, in trying to figure out, you know, what the secret sauce was, so to speak, um, that allowed Koreans to sort of infiltrate, and well, that's not the right word, but to, to really 
to gain popularity, you know, um, in North American space. And, and I guess in context, what I mean uh, when I ask this is, you know, we have Kim's Convenience, uh, a show about um, immigrants, Korean immigrants in, 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 a, uh, in Canada, Toronto specifically. Um, I guess my question is, do you think the show would have the same level of success if it were, say, a show about, you know, Chinese Canadians running a restaurant or Vietnamese Canadians running a nail salon? Um, and then, you know, that was my original thought. But based on the conversation we've had so far, it, it, it's more it's less about ethnicity uh, and it's more about authentic storytelling. That's that's what I'm hearing. You know, well-written characters having um, maybe having the cast that really connect and and have um, you know a lot of passion for bringing uh, pieces of themselves on, onto the screen. Um, so I'm kind of answering my own question, but you know, the creator <laughs> the creator of Kim's Convenience and Choi it, it was a very personal story that he wrote and which was adapted into a screenplay and then eventually picked up as a, uh, you know, a half hour comedy series. But um, maybe I'll just throw that question anyway. Like, yeah. you know, um, mm. I sort of hypothesized about could a show about uh, Canadian Chinese family work if it were set in a restaurant. And in some ways, that's what Fresh Off the Boat was, right? Like you had mm -hmm. sort of the 90s um, immigrant family sort of navigating between uh, running a restaurant. I mean, you know, it, it ended up being a somewhat campy. It wasn't authentic. It didn't have the same vibes as Kim's Convenience did. But do you feel that if the setting were different, if the nationality was different, um, that the results would be any different? Or do you think it's more, um, as we sort of discussed, about the storytelling, about being authentic, about being passionate? I, again, will go back to storytelling. Um, there was a musical I saw off-Broadway before the pandemic called Soft Power that's by David Henry Huang. And it was a little bit about his own like sort of attack where he had been, um, somebody came up behind him and sliced like his neck no. in Whoa. a hate crime that he survived. So it's him <laughs> talking about that, but at the same time pivoting the story to what he said was like a reverse King and I. So it was following... Um, like a group of Chinese people who thought Hillary Clinton was going to be their savior to come to China and do all these sort of things as where the, you know, Anna goes to Thailand with the king and King and I. But then, of course, the way the election turned out, they had to flip that story a little bit. But it was still a compelling story. And it didn't really matter, uh, I think, what ethnicity it was. It was just fascinating and kind of fun to watch. Um with Kim's convenience, I think the thing that really got people was the family, the set of the four, you know, mm -hmm. Appa, Uma, uh, Jung, and Janet, and then having a really strong supporting cast of different ethnicities, different people you would see, like, in the neighborhood, and everybody can relate to that. Like, oh, you always know the one, like, funny neighbor, or that person mm -hmm. that, you know, is kind of like acquaintance friend, and then introducing the whole idea of um, Korean church and on top of that, and having some of that funniness with the other Korean women at the church that Uma had to deal with, and then, um, of course, Pastor Nina, and those kind of things. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I agree with everything that Emily is <laughs> saying there, um, and 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 also just um, I I do think though that there are a couple of aspects of of the uh, of the show that were kind of important for being what they were. I, I think like uh, the the fact that it was a Korean 
uh, Canadian family uh, was important uh, to draw the audience in uh, because you know, Korean, you know, K-pop and K-drama uh, becoming more and more popular. And so, and, and people enjoyed kind of seeing those things and, and, and uh, was interested in learning more about it, particularly in sort of the, 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 the immigrant uh, context. So I, I think that aspect of it was really important for drawing the audience in to give it a try. Uh, and actually my, my, um, uh, my non-Asian uh, friends uh, mentioned that they started watching Kim's Convenience for that reason. It was sort of that Korean-Canadian side of things that, that, that drew them in. I think the convenience store also uh, made it a good venue uh, to have um, uh, relationships and to, and to have interesting conversations with a variety of different people. Um, and so I don't know if you could have really had that set up um, as well um, in in a, in, a, in a restaurant or some other place. But but sort of, uh, the, I think, you know, shopping for things in a smaller store allowed for more conversation. Uh, even with, if, if it were in a supermarket like H-Mart, I don't think that would have worked as well either because H-Mart is so huge. Yeah. So you needed to have, you know, something uh, smaller by which conversations or relationships could be could be had. And then I was thinking about the nail salon idea that you had there, uh, Chiang, as to whether or not that would work. And I don't know, that would just, uh, I know that conversations happen while you're getting a pedicure or manicure or you're getting a haircut or something like that. Um, but it's very confining. Uh, you're, you're basically kind of, you know, you're sitting in one place for a really long period of time. Uh, and, and, and the convenience store allows for um, more possibilities in terms of the storytelling. So, so I actually, I, I, I think uh, Inschoy kind of, you know, found that secret sauce through those elements. Um, I, I, I think it, it, it really helped make Kim's Convenience work. Yeah. yeah and, and what's been said before about the, the, the show is that, you know, in being so specific, um, it actually appeals to a more general audience, right? Mm -hmm. I don't recall the exact words, Mike, maybe you can help me out, mm -hmm. but that was the gist of what was yeah. the explanation. Speci mm -hmm. Specificity is what people relate to. Mm -hmm. yes. So even if you think it's going to be something like really nuanced and sometimes these weird, like, you know, theater things that end up blowing up to big stories, like, when you describe it to someone, it might sound strange, but then the more specific they were with the character and what they were going through mm -hmm. makes it more relatable to people mm -hmm. because they can yeah. draw in different situations. Yeah, it definitely happened with uh, with Janet's photos for me, my favorite Kim's Convenience episode, <laughs> uh, where you know I, I had all this focus, and we talked about the Joy Luck Club and all that, that uh, all that before, where you know I kind of felt like I was disappointing my parents because they wanted me to be this profession or they wanted me to marry this kind of girl, and and uh, you know I ended up not doing those things, and and uh, was thinking that oh yeah, that is a Korean American or even Asian American mm -hmm. thing, but then to discover how you know the people who were not Asian had similar struggles. Where I wanted to pursue a career in the arts, and my parents frowned upon that. Maybe they didn't make that as explicitly known as maybe Appa might, but um, I, I related to Janet in that moment uh, and went, oh, and, and I, or I related to just simply that whole thing about disappointing 
uh, my parents or having a feud with them, a long-standing feud with them like Jung and Appa had. And I, and th- those are the kind of people who are kind of longing for some kind of reconciliation because, you know, they, they wanted to have hope in their, their own relationships. Um, and, and so I, I guess it really opened my eyes too to how universal some of these things are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think uh, that was uh, – um, kudos to Kim's convenience for kind of opening my eyes to that and, and uh, you know, kind of helping bring people together um, as a result. Some really good conversations have come out of, of Kim's for, for me and with my friends. And, and uh, it's been great. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the episode where uh, Kimchi puts Uma as his uh, emergency contact yes. and she goes running thinking it's Jung who's been hurt. <laughs> And then it's like, why am I your emergency conduct? But sort of that, like how I think in Asian communities, we tend to, you know, make a family. It's not necessarily everybody you're related to, you know, mm-hmm. through genealogy, but those people that are important in your life and around that it's like, oh, yeah, of course she would be my emergency conduct if something would happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, this has been, you know, really fantastic conversation. Um, I want to thank again uh, Eugene and Emily for joining us. Um, as we sort of begin to wrap things up, uh, Eugene, you mentioned that you were uh, you had taped a, a segment for "Let's Make a Deal." Do you have any idea of when that will be airing? Yes, uh, so that should be airing in January of next year, sometime. Twenty twenty two. 2022. Very excited about that. Um, you know, ga- game shows is an area where. Uh, you know, I didn't really think about it until, you know, uh, until I was much older and became more aware about representation where, um, you know, Asians weren't really represented well in game shows uh, for the longest time. Uh, although I think more and more we're seeing uh, more diversity when it comes to contestants um, on the shows, um, maybe not so much for hosts. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly uh, uh, proud to be able to represent in, in that way. Although, I don't know, uh, <laughs> some may say it's a little bit too much. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, I'll leave that up to you all to decide what you think. But, uh, no I had a very fun time interacting uh, with the hosts of, of the show. Um, and so you'll have to watch to see how that all pans out and whether or not I win. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Emily, was there anything that you wanted to plug? Um, I mean, if you're in the New York area, come come and see a theater show. <laughs> That's kind of my side gig. Work um, my where I work, we do merchandise for some different Broadway shows. Ooh. So that's what keeps me busy during the day. And getting Broadway reopened has been a lot of fun. Um, Is it back yeah. to a full schedule? Uh, pretty much. I mean, uh, we opened uh, two shows a week and a half ago, and then I take a little vacation. And when we come back in December, we have three in the pipelines for December. So I think uh, Broadway is up to almost 30 or 40 houses that are back open. Oh, wow. So are wow. they at full capacity? Getting there. <laughs> um, yes, uh, mandatory vaccinations and mask wearing yes. and all that sort of stuff. I get um, a COVID test pretty much every three days of my Oof. life now. So. <laughs> we're just making sure everything's safe and that people can come and enjoy live theater good. And that's sort of the same with uh, live entertainment too in the city. Hmm. So Emily, I've been to New York city three times and I have yet to go to a Broadway. Dude, you gotta go. I go to a Broadway show every time I go to New York. It's like the thing. 
I Anytime you guys either. come and you need a recommendation, let me know. Happy to happy to share with my thoughts and what you'd like to see. Because some shows aren't for everybody, but there's always something that people will want to see. So uh, let's give out your handles in case people want to, you know, are in the city and want to reach out to you, Emily. Sure. Um, me, I'm uh, Emily Chen. So E M O L E E C H N. C-H-E-N, basically the way my dad says my name, because he always says Emily. <laughs> Emily, Emily, <laughs> and, and Emily Chen is a very common name, so I needed something to distinguish myself. <laughs> I don't know if I know another Emily Chen, which surprises me. I'm trying to think of one. I'm sure I can come up with one eventually. I've worked uh, at some places where I was one of two, so that's also confusing oh, when it comes wow. to emails. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you well, want the other one. I am the only Eugene B-Y-O-N, as far as I know. I think that there are a couple of out there with B-Y-U-N, uh, mm. Eugene B-Y-U-N, which is essentially the same name, but, uh, uh, but I think I'm the only one. Uh, so on Twitter, uh, I can be found at, uh, at E-Y-B-Y-O-N, and on uh, Instagram, it's a much longer handle. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was thinking. Uh, at Really Crazy Eugene, W-H-E-E-L-Y, C-R-A-Z-Y, Eugene, E-U-G-E-N-E. Um, uh, so love to connect with anyone listening out there. <laughs> Yeah, there's an offer right there. So, uh, you know, especially people who are auditioning for game shows. I, I, I think you have a lot of tips you could give. Yeah. Yep. How can I get it. cast on Hollywood Game Night? That's my, that's my next thing. Keep, keep trying. I'm pretty sure that you're going to get on eventually, <laughs> knowing yeah. you. I hope. I hope. Yes. Well, since we're all plugging our uh, handles and stuff, I can be reached at Chi of Steel, C-H-I-O-F-S-T-E-E-L. And that's... I'm chief steel everywhere, so you can if if it's there, um, that's probably consistency. That's awesome. That's yes. not Is easy. Is that a Superman reference? Uh, oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, it is indeed a Superman reference. Uh, it was an episode title of the '90s series Lois and Clark. Oh, um, no. It was an episode set in Chinatown, where if you watch that episode, you'll find starking similarity similarities to. Uh, you know, the Shang-Chi plot line. I won't reveal too much, but mm-hmm. it involves bracelets and uh, is it, uh, you know, is it the son or the daughter, that sort of thing. Um, but that's where my handle takes its inspiration. From. Oh my gosh. Love I it. think I Love remember it. that episode, uh, hoping for a YouTube link from you, maybe. Chiang, I don't know if one's <laughs> out there, but wow, that rings a bell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the secret has been uh, revealed. Um, <laughs> So with that, uh, Mike and Ruby, I'll throw it back to you. Okay. So, yeah, thank you, everybody. Thank you uh, for joining us, uh, Eugene and Emily, and, of course, Chi Hung for hosting this whole thing. I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have any comments, questions, uh, you can always tweet me at MikeYUAN82. Until the next time. Okay. okay see you. Aigo. Oh.